And then you look through that and you look for what you were trying to find. So, you know, you find this text written by, uh, I, it's in my notes. I don't remember the name. I never remember names. Um, you find the text, you find it on one Steve. of those. Hmm? <laughs> it's by Steve. Oh, of course. Yeah. Steve, <laughs> the ancient Greek. Everybody knows that guy. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, our very special, very first back to school edition. Woo! Woo! I am uh, your intrepid podcast gremlin, Indigo, and I am, of course, joined by the host that you're really here for, Red, Blue. You guys want to say hi? Hey, what's up? (laughs) Wow, really bringing the energy today. So, Indigo, uh, I, I, I feel like you're, you're being too hard on yourself. Yeah. There, there, there is an energy that you bring to this co- this podcast that would be fully lost in your absence, even if usually it doesn't appear until the the Q and A portion. But still, it's quite clear that uh, we perform best in podcasts when we are rebelling under some form of authority. A vital yeah. service that you provide <laughs> is the order to which my chaos opposes. Hey, fall in line there, trooper. Uh, So we are, (laughs) speaking of Q&A, doing a full Q&A episode answering all of the questions that you guys have sent in related to school, choosing classes, how to do research, all that fun jazz that goes into being a student, an academic, or just someone who likes to Google things in their free time. Not that I would know anything about that. Um, So... (laughs) Cough, cough. Uh, so without further ado... Research rabbit holes on OSP? Never. No, that's not exactly what we do at all times. This is going to be Impossible. weird, I gotta say, because like we've done back-to-school things before, but we were always in school when we made those, and we've yeah. all been out of school for at least a year in a couple of cases, you know, more than a year, and it's like... yeah. Do I even still remember how school works? I've I've been free for so long. It's I guess it's interesting because you know in some regards when when we were in it we had the perspective of like we know what the day to day is we're living it right now, whereas now being a couple years removed from it we have like it's not it's not necessarily a a cleaner perspective but a fuller one having been through beginning middle and end critically uh, which we were mm. lacking earlier so I think that even though we are are perhaps you know missing the uh, the the in the moment essence of of actually being college students. I, I feel though that our, our perspective is is close enough uh, in time that we we still are still are in the right ballpark. You know. I hope so. I mean, I I've seen some authors try and fail to write children, and every author was at one point a child. So <laughs> I know that it is possible to forget formative experiences after you're safely out of them. I mean, I know I was like, wow. I did it. I'm through school. I graduated. I got my degree. And now I'm going to sleep for a year and a half. <laughs> and now I'm like, well, that's over. Let's, let's, you know, move on to real things. Uh, and it's like, have, I, I hope I still remember is all, you know, I, I worry that I might've just moved on too quickly and too completely, but I guess we'll find out. Freud is furiously taking notes on how psychological <laughs> repression works. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Well, we'll kick this this uh, this episode off then, and we'll see how if we can't jog your memories with some um, pinpoint questions from our, our dear viewers. And as always, these questions do all come from Ask OS Pod on Discord. And if you have a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can always go over to Ask OS Pod to drop your cue for a chance to be featured in the next answers episode section. Section. There's a section every episode. Every episode you can nope, have questions. You got it. That you got it. You got it. <laughs> Ever onward. Keep going. <laughs> this question rolling, comes from Actual Victoria. Have you ever been inspired by a teacher you hated? 
asking as a current English teacher who chose the profession in part because of thinking at the wise age of 18, well, I can do a better job than that. So have you ever had any uh, questionable teachers who've, who've gone on to inspire you? I mean, off the bat, I'll say that I really do respect the the ethos of, oh, well, this guy sucked. I can do better than them. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that is how you, you find excellence is, is from mm-hmm. that drive. Yeah. Uh, so already props. But I am trying to think. I've been motivated by I hated before. who. Ins- yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's not common. No, um, I, here's the problem. Like teacher, I've, I've had teachers that I didn't get along with. Um, how 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 detailed am I allowed to get with this before people start figuring out who I'm talking about? Um, uh, only enough so that the 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 bare bones of the story will right, make sense. Right, right, right. <laughs> I I had a teacher in middle school, and the school I went to was quite good teacher wise. Most of them were really solid. Um, I had one teacher, uh, and one substitute teacher, in the same year. <laughs> who were not very good. And the problem is the substitute teacher was quite bad. Uh, and here's the problem. This was in math, which I was already a smart ass about in fifth grade. Um, <laughs> and uh, rather than teaching us any math, that whole two year spate that we were under the same teacher, all we had was busy work like arithmetic problems, like straight up just multiplication mm. and addition, like fraction stuff in fifth and sixth grade. This is ridiculous. Like the next year we were supposed to be learning proper algebra and they had us doing addition worksheets of just a hundred problems. And the thing is, I would zone out easily and I would always like mess up a couple basic addition problems and feel like terrible. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to double down. I'm going to force myself to focus. I'm going to get this right. And I remember the the mounting horror as the substitute teacher pulled out her answer key and started casually marking all my answers wrong because she had the wrong answer key and was attempting to explain mm. to me why one half plus one half actually did equal one quarter, you foolish child, because you must add the denominators, oh, no. you see. And oh, uh, no. I doubled down, as did the other students who we'd been working together on this because we were like, if we all work together and we all make sure that our answers line up, we're not going to mess any of these up for stupid reasons. And we were allowed to work together. We weren't cheating. So they all doubled down, and then some parents got involved. And basically, um, <laughs> the head teacher uh, who came in was like, well... Okay, so the math was correct and the student was correct, but I mean, she just really disrespected that substitute, and that's just not right. And I was like, okay, I no longer respect you on any level. Mm. Just, I mean, like, it's fucking math. If you're wrong, you're wrong. It doesn't matter if you're the adult and I am the child. I can still be righter than you. And that was an important lesson for me to internalize, but that wasn't like because the teacher you know because the teacher did a good job despite me disliking her it was wow adults can be really bad about things <laughs> an important <laughs> lesson to learn but um mm-hmm. but at least i was fucking right at least i know how fractions work <laughs> got my got my degree in this lady <laughs> uh i don't have anything quite that robust <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I, I do think there is there's something important to recognize that, you know, like teachers are people and they are fallible and any good teacher will be willing to admit when they are wrong. Yeah. Uh, and to a degree, there there is something to be said for, for recognizing when you and a teacher simply will not click and that mm-hmm. you have to work mm-hmm. past that in spite of that and, and recognize that, okay, you know, you don't have to get along with every teacher. It is natural and inevitable that at some point you will run into a teacher who just who just does not work for you. You don't work for them. You don't get along, and that's fine. And you'll have to figure out how to deal with that and how to 
accommodate yourselves to each other. Uh, that is a challenge that everyone will face. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that is strictly motivating <laughs> uh, per the, the verbiage of the original question. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think that it is something that everyone will deal with in some capacity that it seems like, you know, you're getting uh, you're getting cheated out of the, the grade that, you know, you uh, earned or deserved or, or whatever for seemingly bullshit reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that is inevitable. So you have to find ways to be flexible. I've had a couple teachers who I didn't do well in their class because, frankly speaking, they were bad teachers. Like, I realized that with hindsight. It's like, wait, it can't be that hard to teach me how, like, chemistry works, right? Um, I know this is a thing that people can do. Uh, And in those cases, it's like, maybe I didn't like the teacher, but, like, the teacher, part of the reason they were bad is because they probably couldn't even have named me. I don't think they knew anyone who was in their class. That's the, you know... Bad teachers frequently have basically no engagement with their students. Uh, and so you don't get a hatred relationship. You just get this cold, dispassionate, complete waste of time. Well, the original question was about, like, learning from them or, or being motivated uh, or something? Was, if there was any I don't know. It was, like, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <you disliked>. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if there was any teacher it? you dislike who ended up inspiring you, um, whether that – and however you're choosing inspiring. to Inspiring. That, whether, That's... whether it's motivating you to do – better or or however you want to interpret it i don't know that's the problem inspiring isn't really wait no i'm totally wrong sorry i had an english teacher once who tried to insist to me that taming of the shrew was actually a romance because she saw a stage production (laughs) once that rewrote the ending to make it a romance and i was like that's fanfic you liked a fanfic that doesn't make the original play not kind of awful and she was like well, you know, defend your position. And I did. I wrote a paper on it, and she didn't like it. And uh, that uh, is a large part of <laughs> how the Shakespeare part of the channel started. <laughs> so I guess that counts. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I would say I, I went to film school, which is kind of notorious for having questionable, you know, um, requirements to becoming a teacher in that particular field. Uh, And, you know, like Blue was saying, teachers are people too, and you're not going to get along with every single person you ever met. And so I've had plenty of teachers, and I will not name names, but I've had plenty of teachers, particularly (laughs) in college, who I just did not click with as people, and in some cases very much did not like. But I have to recognize that they were quite skilled at the particular fields they were teaching. And so, you know, being able to learn from someone despite not liking them, I think, is a skill in and of itself. And if you can foster that, um, you'll be much more adaptable when you do inevitably run into a teacher that you don't like or even so much. Oh my God, I'm unrepressing um, so many teachers I didn't get along with. (laughs) I I had a middle school uh... art teacher who taught every single grade and uh, taught everyone the same lessons. It was always the same perspective, you know, like draw a big ball in the foreground and then a smaller house and then a smallest tree. And I was like, okay. And my mom is an actual artist. So she taught me three point perspective the previous year because I thought, I guess she thought it was going to be fun. And my art teacher hated the concept that I was doing art beyond her own presumably inconsiderable skill level, frankly speaking. And I think what I've learned mostly is how to not be a good teacher. Like you gotta admit when you're wrong and you gotta recognize Mm -hmm. your own ability and you're gonna want your, you've gotta want your students to potentially surpass you. Like, I'm not saying I was a better Mm -hmm. artist than this woman. I was like six when I started learning from her. (laughs) Just because I knew how a ruler worked didn't mean I was a good artist, but like, 
you, you gotta foster an environment wherein the student believes they can surpass you, you know? It can't seem like, y your ego can't be tangled up in it, you know? Which is so wildly not the question. Mm. Like, we're talking about students learning from teachers. But I, <laughs> I guess to flip it around, like, if you're a student and you are dealing with a teacher like this, I highly recommend using spite as a motivator. Yes, let the, let your hate fuel you. <laughs> It really can, oh like, God. I mean, like, it's obviously not good being stuck in that dynamic where somebody with authority over you is actively being bad and not helping, you know, foster your growth when that's literally their only job as your teacher. But, you know, if they're not going to foster your growth, you can always just, you know, motivate yourself to make them unhappy because they clearly don't like it when you succeed. Red, like, don't just... tell our audience to join the fucking dark side. I'm just saying <laughs> it powers you up pretty good. Yeah, you're only going to have any given teacher for so long an amount of time. You're very unlikely to catch someone for more than a year at most. So if you mm -hmm. really don't like a teacher and you're stuck with them for a finite amount of time, just try and do anything you can to motivate yourself to get out of that class. And if getting out of that class yeah. involves just doing well enough that they can't deny you the grades you deserve, then let that spite motivate well. you. Uh, caveat that some teachers will be shitty about this and they will give you grades based on how much they like you it, it, and that's not a reflection of your worth if you're dealing with an irrational authority figure you can't take their judgment as as anything personal they're basically sorting out their own ego trips i'm just saying like this is a tricky space to navigate yeah, uh but speaking of tricky spaces to navigate we've got other <laughs> questions to move on to oh god <laughs> so this one comes from unknown z14z for red, what would you change about high school English classes? And blue, what would you change about high school history classes? Huh. You first or me? Uh, if you've got an answer, go for it. I'm, I'm working on it. The, the thing is that um, high school classes uh, mostly follow the AP curriculum, right? Ancient world, and then you either do Euro or uh, world history, and then usually you'll you'll cap it with you know U.S. history or something like that. It's fine. It's only fine. Uh, the the AP curriculum is is okay, but it's most often used as a crutch, um, and teachers don't really have the ability to zoom into the subjects that are that are their area of expertise uh, as much. So, I feel like having teachers being able to teach what they are good at in history makes everything better for everyone because if you have to get through let's say your your course is like ancient egypt um roman empire uh and then let's say uh oh ap curriculum barely touches the islamic world so let's say uh <laughs> british empire ancient egypt rome british empire if you have to theoretically spend equal time with those three courses you're gonna you know get a fairly standard version of all of those. Whereas if you let a teacher who's really good at Egypt spend the whole damn semester on Egypt and they are engaged and they are passionate about that subject, that will transfer into the minds of the students in a way that it won't if you only get like a month on it and then you have to go do a month on Rome and a month on Britain. And if the teacher doesn't care, neither will the students. Allowing teachers to focus on what they're good at is better for the students in the long run because if the students then become interested in history because of the teacher's enthusiasm for, let's say, Egypt, mm -hmm. they are more likely to go and look up other things intentionally and want to learn as opposed to just having it dropped on them. I will say... Sometimes it's the case that a topic will click with a student, but really it, it starts with a teacher clicking with a student and giving the teachers the tools 
to do what most excites them is much more likely to in turn excite the students and then that has a, a virtuous feedback loop well, or a virtuous cycle i will say I, I think that's more often than not how history classes work in college where mm-hmm. the teachers are yes to exactly into one exactly course. make it more like college classes oh well okay okay um, yeah yeah for english i here's the problem you know, I only took a few high school English classes. I don't know if this is just a problem that was localized to my high school or if it's the more broader way the curriculum works. But um, what I observed, and we touched on this last time, is that we had a lot of English teachers that had their interpretation of the text. And rather than encouraging the students to come up with their own interpretation of the text, they would grade you based on how much you agreed with their interpretation of the text, which doesn't foster a space of literary analysis. It, It's... I mean, it's basically nothing. You know, you're just sitting there watching somebody not even defend their standpoint, but just tell you why yours is wrong, which Mm -hmm. in literary analysis doesn't exist. It's not a math class. There's no such thing as being 100% wrong in an interpretation, I think. So I guess uh, the the improvement would be make it a little bit more freeform, you know, allow the students to actually come to their own conclusion. And as long as they can defend it with sources from the text, then it's a legitimate analysis you know you might be able to point out why they're not factoring in certain things but like you know engage with them critically don't shut them down in terms of like that's not i don't agree with that you know you got to cite your own sources too (laughs) you can turn it into more of a dialogue rather than a you know present your opinion to me and i shall grade it on a scale from one to six based on how much it agrees with my interpretation you know that that doesn't really foster any of the skills that are useful for engaging with media which is functionally what it seems like english class is supposed to be the prereq for on the flip side a writing class that actually lets the students creatively write might be nice (laughs) yeah but really this all depends this all depends on how good the teacher is because a good teacher can do this even with a bad curriculum you know like they they can still Mm -hmm. allow the audience or the the audience i'm sorry the (laughs) students oh what a giveaway uh to engage with the media in in their own way even if they're stuck reading the same six plays and and three depressing books you know um Mm -hmm. and i will say personally i would have enjoyed english class if i was allowed to say this book is really unpleasant to read because you're not generally allowed to say that in your high school class about of mice and men yeah (laughs) let me just go on record that most of the great american novels are trash <laughs> yeah this kind is of bad a, kind of bad kind of, absolutely kind a sub tweet kind of at the grapes of wrath i've got personal beef with that book <laughs> bad. i think the problem is I, I also think that it's 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 telling that that read the the way that you're describing it is coincidentally the rules that we have for our discord server <laughs> when presenting an argument it is you know can you explain your point and can you cite something that backs it up mm-hmm. and that's that's the basis of discussion is good argumentation and then citing your sources that's that's all you need if you can do that you're golden yeah part of the problem (laughs) we're running into here is we have a lot of suggestions that essentially involve the teacher being flexible but this is about a curriculum which is inherently rigid you know you're trying to teach a Mm -hmm. large group of individual students something that works for all of them to give them a an important base set of skills and i think it's you know the question is really what skill set are these classes supposed to foster? And for for history, it's research. You know, you need to be able to yeah. research this kind of thing so you can draw your own conclusions about history. For English, and never mind the fact that these classes are all teaching to the test. Yeah, whether that it's too. the Which AP whole... history test or the AP English test, it's not it's not teaching to skills. It's it's teaching to knowledge on a a, a preset curriculum that is much again yeah read to your point much more rigid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so you know the the improvement essentially involves 
it requires the teacher to be skilled enough to be able to make this curriculum flexible enough to engage with the needs of the students. I mean, you know, speaking personally, I struggled with some of the longer readings in English and history class, especially history, because that shit is dry as hardtack and ridiculously annoying to read. But like, there. yeah, exactly. But like, you know, the, the teacher might be able to recommend ways for people to engage with the text if they are struggling to pay attention to it. Uh, because, you know, most students are not being inattentive to personally spite the teacher. <laughs> They're being inattentive because that's how they work. Uh, so, you know, active note taking was a big help for me. Um, but I none of the ways I was taught to do it ever worked for me. Like I had to kind of figure out my own method where it was essentially, okay, you read a paragraph, write a summary of that paragraph, like a sassy, snarky one that I would be able to tell somebody. That's the only way I could frequently get a lot of this stuff into my head. Um, but that's not how you get told, you know, you just get told like, highlight important things, make notes in the margins, unless I'm that kind of teacher who doesn't want you to deface a book under any circumstances, in which case don't make notes in the margins. But you know, really this is just about the teacher needs to be flexible enough to be able to engage with their students like human beings rather than bury their nose in the textbook and teach to that basically and thus our second question in the back to school uh podcast special <laughs> is for advice for teachers I'm sorry <laughs> but we can we can shift gears to a little bit of advice for students this question comes from m any advice for a college freshman who's studying from home Ooh. Well, here's, yeah. here's the so weird thing. The... We missed the Go boat ahead. on remote learning. Like, well, we, we were yeah. graduated by the learning. time. <laughs> yeah, what we did. We did. Uh, but what what we haven't missed the boat on is working from home. And mm -hmm. that's something we've been doing for years and years and years to the yeah. point where when everyone else was working from home, it's like, oh, welcome to the party. Yeah. Take a look around. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, that, that, that's a deep meme, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, deep. Nobody's yeah. heard of that special in the last couple months. Yeah. No one's, no one's heard of inside in the song. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's, it's <laughs> tricky because taking in information through a screen is hard. Um, mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier to zone out when you're not in the same physical space as someone. Um, oh, yeah. Watching a YouTube video is is nice because you can you can pause, you can go back, you can you can manipulate it so that it works for you, speed it up, slow it down. Can't do that with a lecture quite as easily. Um, nope. But creating a space that is conducive for focus is really helpful, whether that means being in a room with windows, uh, being in a room with no windows, um, having lots of natural light, having a fairly dim room, what, what, whatever variety of the space works for you, focusing on that and, and experimenting a little bit, seeing, yeah. seeing what works will be a big help early to put yourself in a space that you're comfortable with. Because you, if you are not comfortable in the space that you are sitting down in, it's going to be that much harder to focus on whatever the hell it is you're expected to do. Definitely. I, uh, I've i seen the same thing. I, no two people I've ever talked to have the same ideal learning setup when they're learning from home. I know some people who cannot concentrate if they're like in the same place that they sleep. And I know some people who work best when they're in a very comfortable, familiar environment. So, you know, just a lot of it's experimentation. Um, it probably helps to physically have a notebook with you. I found that uh, just, again, I, I'm a bit of an outlier here, but I had a much easier time focusing in class when I had a notebook I could doodle in. I was still listening, I swear. I just needed to distract enough of my brain to yeah. let me pay attention to, this, to the, what was happening. And if you're taking notes on a computer, you don't have that option. So I, I do think, you know, a physical notebook where you can write down your thoughts, draw little yeah. diagrams, uh, or just doodle other things, again, uh, can be immensely helpful, at least if you're, you know, in my general brain functionality part of the bell curve 
having a yeah. snack I, or a drink is usually good. Uh, and I also recommend, and I don't know how, how comfortable you are with this because I know this is very much a personal thing and I never did this, but it is often very helpful to reach out to other people who are in the class, you know, in yeah. like a little group chat or like in the chat if it's a Zoom call, I believe. Did you, do Zoom calls have chats? I think they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. They do. Um, and also like, you know, it, you're going to have your phone on you. You can just like have a sidebar with your friends if you need to. Yes, yeah. If you've already connected with people in the class, you can absolutely have a little side chat where you're essentially passing notes. Teachers, I'm not actually recommending the students do this. Don't snitch. It's all good. But, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's it. when you're learning from home, part of the problem is the isolation. It makes it harder to feel like you're engaged with the class environment and just having online social connections with the people who you're in the class with can be a huge help for yeah them. and sort of jumping off of that like freshman year of college is when you make a lot of friends and not necessarily every friend you're going to make in college but it can be hard to know that you're going to be remote and not meeting people from your class or even outside of your regular classes so um you know obviously getting your work from home set up set to your preference is great but also i think it's a a good time to make the extra effort to try and reach out to other incoming freshmen, whether that's, yeah. I, I might age myself by saying like a Facebook group or um, whatever <laughs> forum the kids are using these days. Uh, Cause you know, they're all in the same boat too. Um, and getting yeah. to know the other yeah. students that you're going to be in school with, whether you have classes with them or not uh, is going to make your whole freshman experience a lot easier. Definitely. Yeah. And, and we've said before that, that you will be surprised how receptive other people are to any like inroads that you will try to to make socially with them especially mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. because when you usually go to a college campus and you find yourself you know freshman week orientation or whatever you meet like 50 people you all put your phone numbers in each other's phones and then by the end of college you'll recognize like 10 of them and still hang out with two <laughs> that's okay you meet a lot of people at once and you get used to the process of meeting people it's not about staying friends with all of them it's about being comfortable making new friends yeah. if you find a couple people who like you really click with that's great but you can't expect that to happen to everybody in the absence of that physical like being in the same space making all these friends at once you have to work a lot harder to forge those connections. And sure, the schools are going to have, you know, Zoom, you know, ice cream socials or whatever the hell. <laughs> um, uh, and that's fine. Uh, it works, uh, sort of. Uh, but you have to to be willing to put yourself out there a little bit, send a couple blind messages mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm in the same class as you. Do you want to, like, chat about class material afterwards or whatever um, and I'm, know yeah. that most people will be receptive to it because everyone else is in the exact same position as you are and i will say that uh as a side note you don't need to expect or or set the stakes to be i must make friends with this person when you message them you are allowed yeah. to just message yeah. a classmate and be like hey we've never spoken but do you have the notes for the last class i completely missed it or whatever you know you are allowed to just mm. reach out to people without the assumption that you're going to like forge a, a strong parasocial yeah. dynamic you know like the, the stakes are not that high you, you're in the same class you're allowed to speak to one another you oh, know? Yeah. yeah i don't know how many yeah. contacts i have in my phone that are just people i sat next to in one lecture for one semester who are now forever lodged in my phone contacts and i'm like i have not talked to this person we were exclusively acquaintances from the hours of 2 30 to 3 30 every other wednesday and mm -hmm. we are never <laughs> and that's fine um precisely yeah. yep yeah uh, yeah. So kind of related to college here, this next question comes from Atlas to both. How did you decide what you wanted to get your degrees in? Mm. I mean, 
mine was a uh, this is gonna this is gonna be fun because mine was the least fraught process in the world uh <laughs> when i went into college i already had a couple college credits in math courses and i was like i mean this is gonna you know this is already something i'm good at and having a degree in it will be helpful if i do pursue to if i do ever decide to try and do anything professional with it uh and it's it's soothing i've described this before math makes a lot of sense to me it's soothing to put my brain in it so i was just like yeah i'll just get my degree in that there because it'll be faster than anything else because i already have the prereqs done and uh maybe i'll do a double major with cs on the side assuming nobody screws me over in the you know bureaucracy of the college i'm going to yeah it'd be ridiculous um and then i got my degree and graduated a quarter early uh because it, it was very much like i'm gonna tick this off the checkbox and it's gonna be real satisfying and then i did it Blue, would you like to share with the class the process? Yeah, you my went my process was a little trickier. I all through high school, I bounced around in, in what interested me. I um, I liked space. I liked engineering. I took an engineering camp. I realized I didn't actually like engineering. I uh, in in junior year of uh, of high school, I had a really good economic class, and I'm like, oh economics is really cool because it's it's systems and it's structures and it's like interlocking, you know, things and and how it's not about money. It's about like societies and, and how they interact in that. And I'm like, that's cool. Showed up for, for freshman economics class and we were reading out of a fucking Pearson textbook uh, uh, with no nuance uh, or any sub substantially interesting material uh, insight for the entire semester. I thought, okay, that's just a 101 class. That's fine. Uh, and then uh, next semester, it was just as bad. And I thought, okay, Mayhaps my experience in, in high school economics was not indicative of economics as a whole, or at least not in this university. Uh, so I, I thought, I, I, I looked around, I, I had some ideas, I, I uh, threw some, some, some course catalog spaghetti at the wall, and what I found was uh, uh, basically the, the things that I liked were, were literature and history and philosophy and the intersection of, of all of those different things within the context of of you know Greek and Roman and Renaissance society, and I'm like, oh, that's what a classics degree is. Cool, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I basically realized what I liked about economics in the first place, which is the systems, the structures, and the society, and for lack of a better word, uh, lack of a better word, the mm. world building uh, <laughs> of the these cultures and of these civilizations. Um, because that's what I liked about it when I did economics in high school, and I'm like, oh, I. I I, as, as time goes on, I find myself liking Greek Civ more and more. I guess I can do this, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, I transferred some some credits over from from a couple uh, literature classes I was doing as a freshman, and then I mm -hmm. got along my way. I bumped economics down to a minor, almost dropped it entirely, but thanks to uh, some positive encouragement from from Cyan, among others, <laughs> uh, I, I did end up sticking with it, which is why I'm able to to run the finance uh, for OSP. Yes, because uh, I, <laughs> I did study this stuff. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so that that's that. Started with econ, realized I, I did not like it at all, uh, switched, um, and then uh, here I am. And actually, the, the, the process of making the switch was, was kind of funny because it was a snow day and I was talking to a friend of mine uh, on the fencing team. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I've got this economics assignment. It's really boring, but I'm writing this paper on Virgil. <laughs> and she's like, Blue, I... She didn't call me that. Uh, <laughs> Blue, I, I, I think you, you, you like this, this, this paper and this, this Virgil stuff more than econ. Do you want to, do you want to change your major about that or anything? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So then I did. I, yeah, I, I will say that you know, for some, for some people, 
what your major is very much matters. And for some people, you know, my attitude was always like, I like having a solid core pillar of things I'm doing, but I need the freedom to be able to mess around. So like pursuing that major that I'd already worked ahead and meant that I had a lot more freedom to select other courses so I could take a whole corridor to completely wreck my sleep schedule for dinosaur science or like, you know, linguistic ethnographies <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yes. Uh, just, you know, to, to kind of experiment and sample around you know some people like to stick with one track the whole way and some people like like experimenting you know that's what college is for yeah. i've heard yeah. you um, can do what i did and you can uh, accidentally declare a second major midway through your sophomore year if you want uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> i entered as a film major and i stuck with that for four years but i had always planned on doing a chinese minor and in order to declare a minor you need to have the form signed by your quote-unquote advisor in that minor department so i was going to my advisor who was my teacher for that particular semesters Chinese uh, and she was speaking to me in Mandarin and I was too nervous to tell her that I didn't fully understand what she was saying because she was speaking too quickly and I was like hello uh, Lao Shu I need you to sign this form please and she's like oh you know you actually almost got all the credits for a major and then she pulled out the declare a major form instead and myself being a little bit too shy to say I don't actually want to do that I want to just do a minor signed the major declaration form and declared a major in Chinese. So the next thing I knew, I was a dual degree student who had to take an extra math class, but also graduated with two pieces of paper. So ah. <laughs> maybe if you are go do you do more research than I did, but also college is the advantage of being incredibly flexible in most cases. So if you are yeah. interested in something else, whether it's a minor or a second major, just talk to your advisor about it, preferably in your native language, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> challenge mode only yeah i mean the chinese major ended up being great i really loved it and a lot of my favorite classes were in that particular degree program anyway so it worked out but uh yeah i definitely recommend you know thinking things through more than that um just do what feels right <laughs> yeah definitely yeah uh but this question comes from dull funny to both what would your advice be to high schoolers who really like history and mythology i've always liked history and my latin class this year i'm taking a college level myth class and i absolutely love it but I feel like oh, I can't do yeah. much with these fields, so I don't know why I'd pursue them in college. I mean, I guess my advice is uh, not everything needs to be a productive thing. You know, you can't mm -hmm. do things yeah. just because you love them. And it doesn't take that much time out of your day to read things or research things online, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, the w one of the benefits of, of the way that uh, the, the structure of employment works is that uh, it is very important that you have a degree that proves that you that you went to college, but what exactly that degree is in can be negotiable within yeah. a certain range. If you show up for a science degree with, uh, if you show up for a science job with a literature degree, some questions will be asked. But you know, if you if you want to go to a law firm and you have a philosophy degree, uh, they'll be like, well, you need to go to law school. So maybe that's a bad example. But uh, <laughs> uh, but but you know, the, there are fields within which you you can kind of move around a little bit. So if you want to you know, say major in, in history or mythology, uh, or I guess comparative religion in most universities, but whatever, mm -hmm. uh, and then do a minor in something that you feel like is a little more practical, that's fine. If you want to mi major in something that is a little more on the on the practical hard skills side and then minor in, in you know, history and myths, that's, that's also fine. Uh, do what you like and let that lead you wherever it will. Um, because there are many different versions of of how uh college curricula can play out and there are 
few wrong answers uh, so long as you are doing something that that interests you and that you are able to learn from um, you'll you'll be no worse than uh, than most other people yeah. as I you know as I said you don't need to major in the thing that you want to you know do forever your, your major doesn't actually lock you in that hard uh, but you yeah. also don't need to major in something that you you know love <laughs> You, you can get a major because you think that having that degree will, you know, propel you along whatever career path you end up deciding to try and pursue. Uh, really, you know, having a degree is good. Getting a college education is quite useful. But it it's correlated with but is not 100% locked in with your post-college future, you know? Like, yeah. you, you can just... You can have a degree in something and not do it as a job. You can uh, not have a degree in something and do it as a job. I mean... For crying out loud, like the college, uh, the computer science major is so recent that most colleges haven't even worked out all the kinks in getting everybody to sign up for classes correctly. And everybody who's big in the field of computer science is self-taught, pretty much. You got, you're, we're starting to get people who have degrees in it creeping in, but that field was built by people who were self-taught. Um, I feel like that's the joke with like comp sci majors. Like if if you're majoring in comp sci, you already have the skills to go get a job in comp sci. That's really it. And you know, (laughs) that's a field that it's not hard to teach yourself with the internet (laughs) because that's where all the comp sci nerds live. I'm just saying like, you know, uh, I've been interested in mythology since I was a little kid. I never considered majoring in classics because of it because I could get all the stuff I wanted from that field just researching it on my own. But if you want, you know, if you want to get seriously into anthropology or archaeology or something like that, majoring in it might be helpful. Although I will say it is apparently quite difficult to get jobs in those fields. So if that's a concern of yours. But again, you know, you're going to college to learn, not to lock in a future Mm -hmm. career. It'll help you for whatever future career you choose. But it's mostly there to learn. I learned a lot of really good stuff in college. I'm, I'm glad I did it. I'm not using my math degree by any metric these days. Um Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm still happy that I got it, and it was well worth the time. Um, And, you know, you are allowed to have pursuits and and interests and things that you like that you don't turn into a career or monetize or or even pursue academically through official channels, you know? It is easier than ever to teach yourself things. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just go to your local library and get a bunch of books for free and then go learn. Yeah, or, you know, (laughs) Google those books and find PDFs of them online legally. Uh, and uh, having the physical book is better which actually going back to the thing depends, about remote you know? learning as as much of a tactile environment that you can build for yourself so that you can get things out of the screen and into the world around you do that so red's point about notebooks great if you get a pdf try to print it I, okay, uh, because no, being able the, to read a physical thing caveat caveat really helpful very much depends i have never had a benefit from reading the physical thing it just gives me more paper to lose i always benefited from having everything on my computer uh, All right, well, never mind. <laughs> it, it fully depends on your style. Yeah, because yeah. I'm the complete opposite where if I don't have a physical thing that I can highlight and write in the margins and everything for, I go insane. My, when I did my thesis, uh, I basically just carried around 150 printed out JSTOR articles. <laughs> at all times yeah. that I was just highlighting all my free time. So you know, do whatever yeah. works for you. And actually on the subject of that real quick, before we jump into the next question on the subject of like doing whatever works for you, communicate with your teachers. And, and, and if you have a sense of, of what works for you and what doesn't just like let, make that known with like an email or like a video mm-hmm. call or whatever, just like have your teacher aware of a, the fact that you exist, and B, like a couple salient details about how you how you may think and what may be useful for you. 
nothing might come of it, they might, you know, go through heaven and hell to, to make it work for you. So you never know. But it's worth it in every case. Mm-hmm. Reach out to your TAs, too, if you're in college as a former TA. Yeah. And they're probably a little bit more likely <laughs> to be yeah, remember yeah. specifically who you are if you're in their discussion section. Than yeah, some of those professors handle classes of like 200 plus students. The TAs usually handle smaller batches of only yeah. like a couple dozen. Yeah. yeah. CC the professor, but email your TA. Uh, but hmm. we'll move yeah. on. We got, uh, speaking of sort of our, our methodology here and how we go about studying this question comes from insert name here to all do you have a particular study method my ap test for u.s history is next week and i was curious i'm so sorry that we definitely are answering this question far after the ap u.s history exam hopefully this will help you on future examinations yeah i i mean my my history research process is basically keep going until i don't have any more questions uh, mm-hmm. And that works most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I like to, whenever I'm, I'm researching for a video, which is, I guess, a little bit different from, from, you know, just reading through, you know, reams of paper for class, is to start with a skeleton and give yourself as clean of an overview as you can and then work through. Mm. Because if you dive into some real dense nonsense and you're trying to figure out the narrative thread while, you know, you're you're being hit with like really deep analysis and like way specific in the reads kind of stuff, I at least would get lost. So as much as I can, I like to give myself a, a clean overview so that I know where I'm starting, I know what I'm going through and I know where I'm ending. And then knowing that, I can go down into the weeds and and see where everything that I'm I'm picking up is connecting. Yeah, that's what I like to do. Now, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of a skeleton or a top-down view, I've been very upfront about this, but the first thing I always do is I open Wikipedia and I start with the page for whatever it is I'm researching. You don't end with Wikipedia, but it makes a very good, let's say, table of contents for the future research yeah. you're going to be doing. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't want to spoil what I've been researching, although I have been talking about it nonstop in other places. Uh, fine. As an example, I was recently researching werewolves rather extensively. Um, <laughs> yeah. You start with the Wikipedia page for werewolves. You scroll down. You find the first thing where it says a name of a book that somebody wrote in ancient Greece. And then you look up that book. And you can get it online in ancient Greek and English on uh, opposite pages. <laughs> Searchable, even. Um and then you look through that and you look for what you were trying to find. So, you know, you find this text written by, uh, I, it's in my notes. I don't remember the name. I never remember names. Um, you find the text, you find it on one Steve. of those. Hmm? <laughs> by Steve. Oh, of course. Yeah. Steve, the ancient Greek. Everybody knows that guy. Uh, and, you, you know, you pull up the text, you read through the text, or you do a find and search for werewolf, and then you read through from there. Uh, that's why having the digital version is extremely helpful if your attention span doesn't allow you to read through large blocks of uninterrupted text. Uh, and then, you know, you find the bit that you're looking for, you read through it, you write it down in a note file. That's what I always do. I've got a big, you know, pages document with the notes format with a lot of indented uh, bullet points. And I always take notes and I, I, you know, link back to the thing so I can reference it if I need it later. And I write down the person and what year this was from and the text and the summary. And then I go back to the Wikipedia page and I go to the next sentence and it says, oh, yes. And then in the Satyricon in this year, it was referenced here. And I go and find the Satyricon and I pull up the PDF of that and I go through and I read the actual text. That's the thing. You know, Wikipedia is not a trustworthy source, but it is an excellent bibliography for trustworthy sources. So then you go and find the source. You always hunt down the primary source. That's what I always try and do. Uh, admittedly, it is a translation. Those are not quite primary. It's a prime in a bit, primary in a bit source. Uh, not, it's not fully secondary, but it isn't fully unbiased. Um, 
and you read it. You don't take anyone else's word for what it says. You read it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I've read some summaries where I'll then click the link and, and read the source book. And the, the source is just like a Google Books result with a very limited preview. And just someone has searched through it for the phrase that they're linked from. And it's like, that's not a citation. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't I can't include that because it's not a corroborated source you know you you always have to hunt it down and then uh you you do that for potentially weeks and weeks you know you hunt down JSTOR articles and books and, and you read through it and you list out all the important pieces of information and frequently you know you, ideally who wrote it and where you got it from you know I, I've sometimes fallen victim to like writing down the information and then forgetting where I got it from I've tried to avoid that these days um and then once you have all the information in a big pile, that is when you start connecting dots. Uh, what I always do after I have this big, like, five or six page note file of just information is I start looking through it for themes. And uh, pretty much the last thing I do is I come up with the thesis. You know, what, what exactly is the overarching theme? What is the overarching picture that this all puts together? And then when I start writing the script, you know... <laughs> It involves putting it all in a nice order, like it did this, and over here it was doing that, and then it connected here, and then at this point this thing starts showing up, and I think it led to this, and nowadays it looks like this. You know, you, you can't produce the top-down perspective until you have all the pieces. So the research process is finding the pieces. And I will defend Wikipedia till my dying breath. Use it as your starting point. It is so useful. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it'll and, and even yeah. still like the the reputation that it has among teachers of like oh it's a wild west. No, it's like it's 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 well moderated for the most part, but a lot of these specific things where say there are like maybe two people who have their degrees in this thing uh, those are a little bit dicier, yeah. uh, but you know, broad strokes, it's a good place to start and you, you can feel, feel confident in what you're going through, but again, verify everything yeah. that you come across. As mentioned, yeah. so, the Wikipedia page yeah. for Capricorn did briefly have the time traveling goatfish anecdote on it. And when I hunted down that source and found the source turned into a cycle, a loop where all the sources were citing other sources on the list that were citing themselves, mm -hmm. um, Always, you know, and, and I know that, like, Google Foo is a skill set of its own. You know, it's easy to forget because mm, I've been doing it yeah. for so long. But, like, you know, you, you search the title and you search the name. You'll get, you know, an Amazon result, some Google book results, sometimes a PDF, sometimes excerpts uh, that a university might have uploaded for their students to use. Um, and, uh, you know, Blue, you're right. Uh, getting the physical book is often very helpful. Uh, you can also look in local libraries if you don't want to shell out for the whole thing. Um but, you know, yeah. always hunt it down because, you know, as long as something is cited, it will be put on Wikipedia. But that doesn't actually mean that you can trust the sentence summary that the citation yes. is attached to. Don't trust the yes. sentence summary. <laughs> Use it as a highlight. OK, it says that this showed up in this text. I'll find the text and look for that. And you'll find interesting Consi stuff. Yeah, yeah. Consider the sentence summary a preview of what you may find in the source itself, but yeah. not as a concentrated distillation of whatever is behind that that click through and seriously get jstor get a jstor account get a free jstor account, JSTOR account. Yeah. free Ooh. means 100 free articles a month it's great you never get through that many articles in a month you never get through that many um but uh on the subject of books uh one thing that we've we've said on a handful of occasions is whenever you have the opportunity to read like if you get like a penguin literature book on like whatever or like oxford classics you know literature book on like whatever and there's a little like like a 20 30 page introduction section at the front of it fucking read that oh yeah <laughs> oh my god those sections usually have some of the best sourced most accessible 
often very up-to-date scholarship on a given topic that you could possibly hope to come across in like, you know, a, a cursory glance through a topic. So if you just to, to, to look at my uh, to look at my bookshelf here, if you are, are, are reading through Macbeth in a Penguin Classics Macbeth book, read the introduction section because it is 20 straight pages about when it was written, what was going on, what are the major themes? What was Shakespeare doing? Why did he write it? And all of those things are incredibly useful and so neatly presented in one spot just for you to help you understand the text you are about to uncover. Yeah, yeah, those are generally Read them. good. <laughs> those are good places to go back to right before an exam as well, which is just kind of loop back to what yeah. the question asker was looking for. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you, the thing you need to do before an exam is remind yourself of what you've already learned because I think the best thing that you can do when you're studying, and it's, it's sort of the condensed version of the strategy you were sharing read is to have done the research already whether that's actively paying attention in class as best as you can and taking notes that work for you i know when i had to study for exams um i took incredibly intense detailed notes in my lectures which is not at all related to why i'm the notes taker for my DD group now uh and then would spend the night before the exam going back through my notes and highlighting information that i thought would be important um uh, or using the study guides provided by teachers and professors, because if they put it on the study guide, it's probably going to be on the exam. Yep. Um, and that study guide that they're giving you is usually kind of a condensed version of those intros at the beginning of the books or the summaries you probably would have generated after yep. doing the research. Um, yep. So, you know, we, you kind of have to figure out the strat. Everything in education is just you got to figure out what works for you, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> particularly with pre-examination, you know, try a few different strategies on a few different tests because ultimately, like, one test is not going to decide the fate of your life. Find something that works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but we'll kind of, we got we got time for, I think, one last question here, and I'm going to pull a little bit of a, a fun one because we've been, we've been doing some uh, <laughs> <laughs> serious academic information. So let's get a little bit of nonsense And back to school is no joke. It's, yeah. it's never fun. <laughs> no. Well, I'd say that getting the new school supplies is fun, but the actual yes, school the, part is less fun. Yes, picking out a new backpack, incredible. Um, this question, <laughs> I was completely zoned out for a moment. This question comes from Rahila. Rahila, to all, if there were ever a Smash Bros. style fighting game that was stocked exclusively with Shakespeare characters, who would you want to be your main? Um, it would be very dangerous to be a Hamlet main because <laughs> you have no control over who you kill and you inevitably lead to your own demise um, when you get down to the two uh, to the one v one. I mean, basic bitch that I am, Titania main, Queen of the Fairies, please. I will absolutely take reality warping magic powers over sword. <laughs> Uh, I will take sword, or in this case, small dagger. Because oh, you know what? That's right. I was gonna say I was gonna be a Lady M main for the drama mm. of it all, but I think actually the correct answer is to be a Mercutio main, because Ooh. then you get to be the truly most dramatic bitch on screen. Hey, yeah, those taunts have to be incredible. Yeah, the taunts are good, but like <laughs> you, you get like you get smashed off at like fifty percent. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm the halfway point of the game. Anyway, so the point is just to have fun with it while you are on screen. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I also think that, like, you know, any of the Midsummer Night's Dream characters would be great. Oh, yeah. you know, Puck has got to be just the most trolly little shit. Yeah. <laughs> of I mean, the bandana chew all... variety. <laughs> yeah, because here's the thing with Shakespeare is, like, there are definitely, like, scaling power levels among the plays. It's like mm -hmm. you get. 
like Romeo and Juliet, where it's just a bunch of like teenagers just like, you know, bapping around with, with some toy swords they got yeah. that they found out are accidentally sharp. Yep. And then there's and like Juliet the Celtic like, the like Feywild nonsense <laughs> that know. is so insanely uh, hardcore compared to that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd say that Romeo yeah. and Juliet are like the, the Ness and the Luca types. And the, <laughs> you know, the little yeah. baby, like the chibi things, the ice climbers. Um, <laughs> and then you've got, you know, uh, like, like Ridley, the equivalent is like Oberon showing up. Um, <laughs> oh, there's, there's other, I mean, there's like, I feel like part of the problem is, of course, the power scaling, uh, as well mm-hmm. as the fact that mm-hmm. it's not a very combat-heavy franchise for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it so interesting to make them fight. you got to really decide, like, who's the scrappy... I guess, who would be the most fun to play as from a flair perspective? Because power mm-hmm. level-wise, there's some great clear It did get really answers. annoying... It did get really annoying when they kept putting fucking Fire Emblem characters in Shakespeare. That really <laughs> threw off the balance. <laughs> Yeah, oh, freaking Crom showed up and <laughs> gave the whole to be or not to be soliloquy, and I was like, "What is this shit, Matt Mercer? How dare you?" <laughs> oh yeah. God, I, I I I have an answer. I'd be a Prospero man because I just oh. use magic to yeet Fuck. someone off the side of the map. I knew I was forgetting somebody. <laughs> oh <laughs> damn it! Oh, I know. I for, I've missed the most obvious. Uh, how did I miss her? My girl, the crone herself, Volumnia from Coriolanus. Volumnia, <laughs> old lady, just coming in. <laughs> Into sass oh my god! Everyone. I feel like I, I'm not sure if Ariel or Puck is more broken. Um, mm. Puck is a little more like we, we don't really know how many powers Puck has. He's just kind of tricksy. Yeah. But Ariel, Ariel full, causes a full-on storm and a shipwreck. So I, I feel like. But the thing is, <laughs> yeah, is, Ariel yeah. is explicitly a celestial. Well, yeah. the thing is, is, is Ariel like is Ariel a summon? Like are are they an assist trophy that mm. you can get sometimes? Ah. <laughs> uh. The problem with Prospero no, they're, they're, is that... Ariel is Meta Knight, banned from competitive play. <laughs> I guess the problem with Prospero is that at the end of every game, he uh, snaps his staff in half and is like, I now forswear yeah. forever magic. And then the next time you load up the game, he's back. It's like, you cheeky yeah, fucker, exactly. get out of here. <laughs> oh, awesome. No. He has a cupboard with like 70 staffs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you'd think you'd want to play Hamlet because he's big name and he's on all the box mm-hmm. art, but like he's actually garbage in a straight fight. <laughs> yeah. Half his moves are just like complaining for some reason, <laughs> and then when he when, then his final smash is like, oh, I'm gonna stab him and poison him and drop a chandelier on him, and it's like, all right, you're overcompensating for being trashed here in the main gameplay. <laughs> you know how you have like you have like uh, in in animation you have wind up execution and the recovery for for all of the wind up phases for Hamlet's moves you like you'll press A to do an attack and he'll just sit there for like 70 frames yeah. just considering it He's just slow. weighing the pros and cons before and he heavy. actually does the attack <laughs> and if he trips he has a little like cry while he's there on the ground before getting up and it's just like oh the real the real deep pull though is is uh is Banquo because it's like mm. oh doesn't he get killed yeah and then he shows up with a friggin' army of hallucination ghosts to torment Macbeth at a family <laughs> dinner all right that's the real like that's the S tier move yeah. <laughs> Banquo is an assist trophy oh, of course Banquo is an assist trophy as is the uh the march of uh future kings showing up to dunk yeah. on Macbeth for never being king does this make Rosencrantz and Gilderstein the ice climbers oh absolutely one hundred percent. Excellent. 
Oh, well, these these have been some excellent headcanons, but I think that is just about time for today. Red, would you like to improvise an outro, or should we put Blue on the spot for once, since this is a, <gasps> a bonus episode? Is that allowed? I, I, can I just rest on my lawyer? Sure. <laughs> rest on my lawyers. Can I rest on my laurels for the next couple? I need to use that somewhere now. <laughs> I'll just rest on my lawyers over here. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for watching. If you'd like more OSP, you can check out uh, any of the other episodes on this podcast. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes. And you can check out our YouTube channel uh, at Overly Sarcastic Productions. Um, we'll be back with another episode on our regularly scheduled time, uh, because this was a bonus episode. We'll have another one at the uh, the next appropriate uh, Wednesday. But until that time, I've been blue. I've been red. And this has been an Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Get Fucked first try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this bonus episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming on September 15th, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured on a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below. And from all of us here at OSP, we wish all the students and teachers in our audience the best of luck in the upcoming academic year.